Hello and welcome, whorehounds, to another exciting episode of Cadaver Dogs Podcast. I'm Rob Pasercha. I'm Devin Shepard. And I'm David B. Jacobs. And we are Cadaver Dogs. How's it going today, guys? Ow! ow. I feel like from now on we should only, like, start our episodes with, like, arfs. Like, we're the fucking cadaver dogs that we are. <laughs> yeah, I prefer our uh, audience thinking we're less dorks than we actually are. <laughs> Oh, I don't what? know what you mean. Dorks? I'm like, what? Are you kidding? Less of a dork than <laughs> we actually are. <laughs> In what world does anyone listening to us think we're not a bunch of dorks? I was under the, the amount impression... of research that we put into each episode, like, just is straight up just like base level nerd. Okay, I think <laughs> yeah, we should do yeah. a poll. Everyone who's listening to this, please tweet at Cadaver Dogs Pod and tell us on a scale of one to four bones how much of a nerd you think each of us is. <laughs> I said dorks, but... Dork. Dork. Sorry. Dork. Dork. I'm, I'm sorry. Dork. On a yeah, scale yeah. of zero to four bones, how much of a, a dork do you think each of us is? Yeah. <laughs> you can also just, just DM us directly if you want dates. Not saying we'll go, but just saying. <laughs> I'm the only one of us who's single, just throwing that out there. Yeah, I, actually, there's a good chance by the time this releases, I'll have already been married. So, congratulations! Hey! Yeah. Wow, yeah. this is the first time I'm hearing this, and this is my reaction. I had no idea. Oh my god, Rob's Mine's getting blown. married. Mine's blown. <laughs> Rob is 30 and getting married. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, actually. Considering the movies we're covering tonight, um, all have to do with uh, the relations of the sexes. Yeah, if you ask me. Oh, dude, our next one should be something about, like, newlyweds and really freak you the fuck out. Mm. Yeah, I think, I don't think you're going to top these movies. Well, we did Ready or Not already. <laughs> we did, we did. And yeah. uh, we fair, can't fair, cover fair. The Graduate because that's not a horror movie, although it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so our first film is a little bit weird, and it's a little bit different than anything else we covered before on this podcast. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it, David? What if man was driven to kill woman? This is the question asked by our first movie, The Screwfy Solution, which is actually a TV movie that was part of the second season of Showtime's Masters of Horror. Family and friends sit around the table and debate the ethics behind scientific experiments humanity has performed on insects like the screwfly, eliminating their sex drive. But this debate soon becomes personal as they realize that something is doing the same thing to us. Men around the world begin to attack women, from which the only apparent cure is chemical castration. Even a father murders his daughter. As the cast whittles down to one, she faces a world no longer built for her, until she eventually uncovers the threat that's plagued society this entire time. Aliens. Wow. <laughs> Directed by Joe Dante, The Screwfy Solution is based on a short story by Alice B. Sheldon, under the pseudonym James Tiptree Jr. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I do I do have to correct you on one point. It actually wasn't under the pseudonym James Tiptree Jr. It was under other pseudonym Rakuna Sheldon. Oh, uh, okay. James Tiptree Jr. was her uh, pseudonym that was actually uh, released to the public. She was outed by one of her fans the year prior to this in 1977. And kind of shook the science fiction world because everyone thought that this manly man was writing these stories from like the viewpoints of women and like these subversive tales of womanhood and femininity and it turned out to be a girl and people were like what the fuck and i feel like 
knowing that history of the author when going into this and while watching this, I kept questioning who this was written for. And of course, the adaptation who this is made for it. I'm so curious what you guys think if this was meant to scare women and play on the fears of women or was it meant to scare men and play on the fears of men Mm. because it's obviously one or the two maybe both i don't know i'm curious what are your guys' thoughts i'm also curious i want to hear rob's thoughts uh well okay so i'm gonna make a wild guess out there and just say that most of the audience of masters of horrors was men and they knew that going into this movie and I also think the story that Al Sheldon, when she was writing under the pseudonym of a man, and then later Rakuna, was kind of targeting men with her writing and was trying to get them to see things from her point of view. And that's why she used this persona. So I also think this movie is mostly targeted at men. I don't think it's exclusive by any means, because I know a lot of women do enjoy horror. But for me, I think that a lot of the humor in this movie is aimed at men to make us feel bad. That's interesting. Uh, Yeah, I think you're the only one of us who has read the short story, so it's interesting to hear a perspective. Uh, Having only seen the movie and having not known anything about the author of the story when I watched the movie, I I definitely think that the movie was made for men. Hmm. I I thought it was almost to its detriment, honestly, that I I felt like it was often very sexualized. I mean, it's on Showtime, so there's a certain amount of, like, nudity that they just need to get in there because that's what it is. But I felt like they mixed that (laughs) with the violence a lot. It kind of undermines a lot of what the story seems to be trying to say to me. Hmm. So we're going to get back to that point because I vehemently disagree. But I want to hear what Devin's idea was. Do Do you know if it was for women or men? What do you think? They play upon so many stereotypes about women's fear of men. I mean, the scene with, like, the fucking construction workers whistling at women. Like, these are all things that, like, are well stereotyped about how women feel about men and being harassed by men. And, like, yeah, it's everyday life and it's fear that we have just being a woman from day to day. But, I mean, the main character is a man. So you have to say it's meant for, like, the male perspective. You think the main character is a man? Isn't the main character the woman? I well, and this is so questionable because yeah, I'm like, I thought. it. I didn't see her as the main character until maybe the end. We're with her husband most of the time. Yeah, there are several protagonist swaps. Um, I'm actually gonna yeah. rephrase my answer a little. I think looking at it, it feels like they were trying to make it for women and men. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it came out that way. <laughs> I guess, I guess the root of my question is, like, I know what I'm scared of about men from a female perspective, but is this something that, like, men are scared of? Are men afraid of being overly aggressive towards women? Is that something that is, like, a struggle that you guys have? And is this something that is, like, a fear that is played upon well in this interpretation? Mm. Well, okay, two things. First, I think that this movie kind of falls in that category of being too faithful as an adaptation because it it follows the sequence of events of the story extremely closely. I mean, there's just a few differences. Some of them are pretty important, but when I point them out, it's like a paragraph worth of differences in a pretty short story, like 20 pages, but very small amount of differences. And two, I think one of the things it kind of messed up on was this idea of our own sexuality as men being borderlined with this aggressive side to, I mean, like combat with David directly. This movie almost needed, I think, to be more sexualized and more mm. aggressive and more brutal and, like, darker. Because I think it kind of had this, like, whimsical feel to it, this, like, TV movie quality. So it's kind movie. of funny. 
Yeah, there's a scene where they're on an airplane, and that's when the <laughs> other main character, Alan... Now, now the short story was written from both of their perspectives, back and forth, and then it turned out Anne was the main character. So that okay. makes sense at the beginning of the movie, because it was letters exchanged back and forth, and that's how it started. So he's on a plane going back to see his wife and daughter, and on the plane, he's going to the bathroom, and he sees a dead woman there, and a guy who's like, fucking bitch was in the way. I didn't kill her, and gets in the bathroom. You're like, shit, that guy probably just killed her. And then walking back, this other woman sees the dead body, starts screaming, and this guy's like, shut up, shut up, shut up, and then like snaps her neck. This other dude is like, thank you. And it is kind of funny because like their acting is not great and it's done in kind of a humorous way. It's horrifying. And because it like it's not easy to snap a neck and it's I mean, what what do they have super strength too? Like it makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, uh, but that's a oh that's God. a movie trope that happens in like a million action movies, you know. It, it you can't do it probably that easily, but whatever. But the way they did it was very kind of funny which is odd because it's a super dark thing. Like he just murders this woman. I don't think the movie is trying to play it funny. I think it's just, it's definitely trying to play it made. funny. I think it's I just think. poorly shot. <laughs> no, it's no, so it's trying to play it's, it funny. It's so problematic. Like it was so annoying. It like, it gave a justification for the man to kill her. And it was like, that's not, why are you yeah. doing that? Like the whole entire point is that men are killing women without, any reason like they're just doing it, it, yeah. it, it, it so, yeah it just gave a reason well the whole thing does like exaggerations to all these right it's like you know in most older movies if a woman's going crazy like that you smack her in the face right that's what the old guys would do in the movies mm -hmm. and now we view that as problematic you know that's like the humphrey bogart type thing it is problematic yeah that's what i said it's like very problematic you smack her in the face so we view that today as problematic but that's what they did Remember we were talking about in the ring right that happened in the ring and you were saying that's problematic so this one goes to the extreme of it, and he breaks her neck. And you're like, wow, we are supposed to know that's problematic. But because it's shot funny, if we laugh at it, we're supposed to be reflective on ourselves. And that's kind of the whole mm. point of the movie, is that these are exaggerations of things that already happen in society all the time. Like the construction worker scene is like notched up to 11. You're like, wow, these guys are dicks. And it's like, all right, well, now let's notch it up just a little bit further and then see how you feel about it. Because people are like, this is just something that happens in reality. Let's bring it up to 12 and then reflect on it. Yeah, it is. It's very Joe Dante. Sorry, David, go ahead and go with your point. So to answer your, your earlier question, Devin, which I think ties back into a lot of this as far as whether or not men have a fear of being overly aggressive toward women. Um, I mean, I can't speak for all men. I can only speak for myself. And I mean, sometimes, yes. But I don't think this movie plays into those fears at all. I think... We did an earlier episode on Daniel isn't real and the evil within. Those play into that fear. This movie does not do that. This movie glorifies it. And it, it doesn't only give men a justification because, oh, the woman is being manic. It also gives them justification because it's not their fault. It's some aliens are making them do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's poking fun at that argument that men make today by exaggerating upon it. Like, that's kind of the point, right? You yeah, kind of see I what like I mean that there, interpretation. Right? What do you mean, Rob? By it exaggerating, it's like, oh, people use that excuse of we couldn't help ourselves. So the movie's like, yeah, like this. Is that what you mean? And then you're like, uh, maybe, maybe not that extreme. <laughs> like, that's that's what we're supposed to feel. It's kind of like getting caught with your pants down. That's kind of the idea. Yeah, but the movie still justifies it because. No, all no, the, it doesn't. Because all the, all, the, all the men in the movie, every single one of them, if you were to bring them into a court and hold them accountable for their crimes, they'd all be fine and we we would all vote to be like no you literally you were under the force of these aliens 
Right, but they're like, not they justified. They didn't do anything wrong. They've been drugged, essentially. Yeah, yeah, but they end up murdering off the entire human species at the end of the movie. So, yeah. like, to say it's justified is like, no, they were all wrong, obviously. And at the end, they're not even happy about it. Remember at the end of the movie when he's walking in, they're like, oh, where's, I forget what the kid's name, where's, like, Jimmy or something? He's like, ah, uh, he's like, I couldn't help myself. Like, the kid just fucking killed his own son, you know, because he found him arousing. Like, all... At the end of the movie, all the young men are killed, too. All the young boys. Because when they're out of women, they start turning on each other. You know? Oh, and I thought that guy was just a pedophile. Okay. Yeah, no, wow. I no, totally no. missed that. No, Damn. he didn't start off as a pedophile, but, like, he kind of, like, the movie kind of says he became one. Or maybe he was all the time and he held off. But it's so late in the process of this thing happening. And what's that? It's making a point about the fluidity of attraction and how it isn't strictly defined to one gender. Whether or not you are in like the strict uh, binary of straight, gay, or whatever, that there is some sort of fluidity to attraction. And since the idea of this movie is that attraction itself is what becomes bloodlust, most of the commentary is about the uh, male-female binary, right? But it's also talking about how attraction as a whole can be more fluid than that. So that's a secondary critique of society this movie's giving. That's interesting because I feel like there is a thread in this movie that talks about homosexuality and i don't know if it does a very good job with it they do have one gay character elliot gould who's like the biggest name in the movie his character is a gay man for the first 20 minutes or so before i realized that my big question was okay but what about all the gay men are they like going to kill men and then with elliot gould's character they say actually yes that's correct and then he has this terrible line where he says like oh the young men i'm attracted to would be able to fight me off. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> well, in, in most situations, they line. would. Unless he hits them with a car or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they he... very actively hit people with cars in this movie. Also, they do have super strength. So uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that's just like oh, a really terrible line that implies that gay people are weaker than straight people. And I don't like that. It doesn't say that. No, he's saying oh, that no, the I young see that at gay all. men that he's that attracted to would be able to beat line. him. How? He's an older man. That's what he was saying. He's not saying anything about the gay so he can't be attracted binary. to older men as well. He, he said he's specifically attracted to younger men. He didn't say his boyfriend. Overall, I don't find that adaptation is a good one because mm. I feel like they didn't really update it to the modern times enough. Mm. Um, then again, this is 2006. It's also a different world then like the the most prominent gay people were the ones that we've seen in reality tv at this point like (laughs) i I don't know if i agree with that but i also don't feel like it's antiquated either because i kind of feel like they released the movie in like maybe 2016 it would have been more modern because there was the rise of things like the magtow movement or incel movement or like the men's right movement were more prominent and this movie is making comments about that it's critical of men's rights movements it's like these are why they're bad because you know men and women are part of the same species ultimately and if this relationship between us is so aggressive and so violent then it can be seen as the weak link of the human species as a whole and that's why at the end of the movie it's exploited by the real estate agents the aliens who move in at the end (laughs) the real estate agents (laughs) (laughs) at the the end of the short story she calls them real estate agents i wish they left that line on the movie um i just want to jump in right here and say really fast that we're saying male and female because those are very much the genders that are being discussed in this film 
we don't discuss about non-binary because yes. it's it's just not a theme that is presented in the movie and it's very much mm-hmm. a male versus female discussion um i just want to put that disclaimer out there yeah, yeah. thank I you think I, that's yeah a... i actually think that's really annoying in the movie that doesn't understand mm-hmm. things like that but on another note we should say that this is also an expression of like second wave feminist writing and second wave feminist writing was very interested in the binary between men and women so in that way it is kind of like of its time yeah no, and I think that's why it's kind of a failure of an adaptation to me, because an adaptation, again, should be updated towards the modern times. And exactly what you're saying, Rob, I agree. It's very reminiscent of the 1970s feminism and it's like not really taking to note what is currently happening in 2006 with women mm-hmm. or not just with women. And as we've discussed here with just gender in general. Okay, I, but I do I do have a critique about that. I'm wondering if you guys might agree with me if you look at it through this lens. Um, I think this movie is and this whole story is critical of the political system and how it's kind of broken into this binary of men and women, and it's mm. mostly hegemonically men. The scene that talks about this the most is the war room scene. We have these two male scientists trying to explain to a room full of men of how we should stop the femicide that has become a global epidemic. But it's making the statement that there's only this one group of society that's really running things. And if they collectively decide to kill off everyone else, everyone else would have little power to retaliate. So if the movie was concerned with non-binary persons, would they still be stuck in a similar situation as the women and not have the political or the military muscle to kind of fight back? And my answer would probably be no, which is which is scary. And I think that's part of the horror of this. No, I, I, What do you think would happen with that? Yeah, it's it's such an interesting question to ask because I like ultimately you're right and like looking at it through that lens, the whole point would then be what it calls upon is just like, hey, here's what happens when basically someone commits a genocide. Like, I mean, that's essentially it. We could we could look at this through anything. We can look at it through gender, we can look at it through race, we can look at it through whatever. This is like literally what happens when genocide happens. They're like, No, sorry, you are inferior mm. to me. This is like that that's what they're commenting on at this point. Well, I don't know if it's an inferiority thing. It's it's just like a power dynamic, and I don't think necessarily being that, that's having exactly less what inferior power. means though. No, inferior no, no. Being, like it blends into a power dynamic. No, like no. inferior is straight up like a, a retaliation to someone in power. Like, yeah, Devin's right. You're agreeing with her. But the hypothetical of what would happen if all men decide to kill all women, you know, strip everything else out of the movie, and it's just that if all men decided to femicide the rest of humanity of, of womanhood, w- would there be much they could do about it? So and this movie conclusively says there's not. And I think David actually disagrees with me on this point, And he thinks there might be. Yeah, I strongly disagree with... I, I agree that that is the stance that the movie takes. I don't think it makes it very clear because it, it doesn't even show women fighting back. It doesn't show that they can't fight back because they literally don't even fucking try, which is stupid. And that's yes. really my main point yes. is that this movie completely fails to actually show you what if this happened because it's just that's not how women that's not how anyone would react Uh, i think the one thing the one thing that it does accurately it's something that you danced around earlier rob in that war room scene uh they actually present the solution is that the men can get chemically castrated and everyone's just like well we're not going to do that Birth control. Yeah, well, it is fucking birth control. It, it, it is a birth control, it is birth but it's control. also yeah. I I don't see it that way because I feel like it's a lot more extreme. But it might be because the whole movie is so extreme. Uh, I don't know if it's more extreme actually. 
I don't know Wait, enough are, about are chemical castration or birth control to know if it's extreme. It's more extreme. It's it definitely is. more extreme. And I mean, it, which goes to your point earlier, Rob, like this is all of a heightened experience of like yeah. what is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. But to clarify, David, um, and for the audience, chemical castration doesn't just make you infertile. It makes you impotent. Like you can no longer get a heart on. Yeah. That's what happens. So it's a lot more extreme than like a vasectomy. It's permanent, right? It, and it's then that's the other thing. It's permanent. Yeah. So the government, like literally them suggesting that is that like, every man should get a chemical castration. It's essentially being like, hey, we should kill off humanity. Yeah. Yes. So it's kind of a bad solution too. It's very odd. Yeah. To be fair, it's not killing off society. It's just preventing society from continuing afterward. Yeah, but that's how you kill off bugs in this movie. That's that's the whole point. Like, it'd be, that's how they killed off the screwfly. They, yeah, the screwfly, took... but not the other species that they did where the species actually kills itself. Right, Like, right. the sterilization method is non-violent, essentially, depending yes. on how the sterilization is done. <laughs> could you yes. could you go into detail about um, the sterilization and the screwfly? So, I don't know enough about the screwfly one specifically, but I will talk about mosquitoes, because this is an actual thing that there is a current debate about. So right now, we have CRISPR technology and have the ability to literally edit genes. We currently have that ability. We just don't know that much about genes, and that's the only problem. It's like we know how to hack into the computer to get to the Java code, but we don't know Java code. However, we do know enough that we could theoretically give mosquitoes a recessive sterile gene Mm. that would... Over a few generations, which for mosquitoes is just like one month, spread across the entire population, which would mean no more mosquitoes would be born after a month, and malaria is gone. Mm. And we would save millions of lives, but we just don't know at what cost, really. Like, theoretically, Mm -hmm. there is no evidence that there would be any negative to this, but it is a really big risk to take. Yeah, I, and yeah. I love it in the in the in the movie when Bella's like, yeah, well, if you kill off the flies, then the chain over here will be fucked up, and like the swarms over here will be fucked up, and the migration, blah blah blah, and soon like you'll have no water. And she goes off on like this big expansive butterfly effect, essentially. Except it would be called the Screwfly effect. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting because the movie also takes this stance that if humanity humanity were to be kind of wiped out, then maybe the Earth would do a little better. Because it compares us to a pest in the same way we thought of uh, in the movie. It's the screw fly and the blot fly, right? And the way they eradicated the blot fly in the movie was they edited its genes to change its mating pattern to where it tried to mate with the female's head rather than her actual um, sexual organs. So it would kill the female in the process or just not impregnate her. And that killed off the whole species. So that's very similar to what was happening with the people. The men were killing off all the women and and later everyone they found attractive. So it was like a confusion of their sexual organs, of their sexual desires. It's very obvious earlier in the movie that like, well, clearly because they suggest like, how do you know this enzyme you're spreading that does this won't affect humans? We know. So it's very clearly foreshadowed that that's like what causes everything happens. But then they're all like, oh, we don't know what's causing this. It's like, you, it's it's that thing. It's that thing you just said. That's what's obviously causes. I'm like, no, it's aliens. Yeah. It, it's it's really stupid. <laughs> and it, it undermines all the themes of the movie because now humanity is uh. not doing this to ourselves. It changed yeah. it from men versus women no. to us versus some unseen uh. threat. 
Sorry, man, you're totally wrong. I mean, they foreshadow aliens multiple times in the movie. I mean, in the beginning, she's just make shoot. it a good twist. <laughs> I know, but not only that, it's not like it comes out of anywhere. And and sorry, but you misread that line where they're like, this can't jump from that species to us because it scientifically cannot. You can't. The genes edited in a mosquito or a blot fly will not jump to humanity. This is a horror movie. I know, Anytime but the, the science... scientist says this can't happen, it happens. Yeah, but that's you reading into it because of how you've seen other movies. So it subverts your expectation. The alien angle is pivotal because it's about how humanity can be a pest upon the earth the same way humanity views pests upon the earth. So the yeah. aliens use the same method to kill us the way we use bugs. So it's kind of saying we're like insects in a way. Like we think we're this great divine thing. And as you know, people like justify the cults in the movie, like the son of Adam, justify their violent behavior via divine intervention, right? But they're wrong. Because there is no divine inter intervention, right? We are simply a species, and this is a problem that we have. It's a scientific problem. This battle of the sexes, this problem with our brutal sexual aggression is a problem. Yeah. And it's yeah. pointing that out. The reason I want to say, sorry, I just want to jump in with two quotes here. One to support Rob's claim there, which was when Elliot Gold's character dies. He has this whole speech that essentially says what Rob says. Someone watched us, saw the worst in us, decided the world would be a nicer place without us. Maybe it would be. We're the pests. Well, somebody finally called the exterminator. What's the second quote? Rob brought up something interesting that I did yeah. want to kind of go into. and But you essentially mentioned religion. And one of the most interesting things that I thought about this movie was how they view religion and how they talk about religion. Mm -hmm. And one of the greatest quotes that I saw was that religion is not a cause, it's a symptom. Mm -hmm. And essentially saying that the men are inherently misogynist. <laughs> like, that's like essentially what it's saying. And that like religion is not the cause of this misogyny that we've been talking about for so long, but it's obviously is the symptom of mm. the structure that we've yeah. set for ourselves. Yeah. So one theme that we haven't touched on, I think right. there's a strong message about Islamophobia in the movie. Oh yeah. In the beginning, there's a thing where the Sharia just killed a bunch of women, which we later are able to attribute to whatever the fuck is happening, aliens, blah, blah, blah. But everyone's just like, Oh yeah, that's what those muslims always do is what the characters say not mm -hmm. what i'm saying and even as start stuff spread everyone's like oh this kind of sounds like islam maybe the islamic terrorists are doing this and i think the movie is kind of trying to say hey all these things that you are critiquing about islam like that that's just all people hmm. well yeah, I, I actually mostly agree with you with that. Yeah, I think the movie is critical of a religious extremist as a whole. And it does draw this parallel of the way we view like Islamic extremists to the way uh, Christian extremists can be. And they're really? saying it's very similar. And, and the source mm -hmm. material does actually draw the same parallel because there's a scene in the, in the story where they're in Miami, Florida, and there's a bunch of white women in burqas running around trying to like hide from the men. And, mm. it, and that it happens is in saying, the movie too. Oh, does that? Her disguise at the end. It's not as obvious. Yeah. And disguise at the end of the movie. She needs to look like a man so that they won't recognize her as a woman and they won't attack her. And it, it works for a little while. Mm -hmm. But she covers her head. She hides her hair. Mm. And she like draws, scrubs yeah. dirt on her face to look like a five o'clock mm. shadow. So essentially it, the only thing that can really be seen that is hers is her eyes. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Just yeah. like many Islamic robes. Yeah, oh, that that's kind of interesting. There's also a billboard of a supermodel. They they drew a burqa over her. 
which is oh, like yeah there's something bad about this right um but I- i'm wondering they drew a burka yeah. sorry just because you brought up they drew a burka and they also wrote genesis 316 which mm-hmm. did you guys look this up no because no. i forgot this moment Oh my god, Genesis, so Genesis 3.16, I don't know the Bible at all, I did not grow up religious, and I know nothing, uh, so I don't know where the fuck this exists in the world, but here's the quote of Genesis 3.16. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Can we come mm. back to this quote when we do the comparisons? Yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because yeah. I know exactly where that is. Oh, and great. it's relevant. I, I do <laughs> I do have a question um, that I think we talked about before we get to comparisons, which is, do you guys like the way they brought up Islamophobia? Because I, I think, if anything, it was critical of us condemning other religions for things that they, they might be guilty of. Yeah, I agree with you. If anything, I think they could have done more with that. I thought that was... More interesting than a lot of the stuff they did to, like, aliens for some reason. Yeah. Before we get into the second movie, let's hear a word from our sponsor. The devil is in the details. Trim your nails before reading this one. The terrifying visuals might have you clawing at your eyes. The author of Ped, Flanagan, and Buds, James Longmore, just re-released one of his finest horror novels, Tenebrian. Amateur filmmakers break into an abandoned school to perform and film an authentic black mass, inadvertently invoking a demon. The malevolent demon of darkness requires particular circumstances and sacrifices to rend a fissure between the worlds and set free its brethren. It has manipulated humans for centuries to put things into place, and the movie makers are the unfortunate final pieces of this nefarious puzzle. The filmmakers will attempt to return Tenebrian to the pit of Hades as it hunts them all down one by one for inclusion in its hellish gateway. You can find the novel on Amazon or check for a link in the description of this episode. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Our second film is just as divisive, if not more so. So here's Devin Shepard telling us about it. Our second film is the 2009 Lars von Trier can premiere called Antichrist. She and he are a couple coping with the recent loss of their child, Nick. She is taking it extremely hard, having plunged into a deep depression with strong sexual dependency. He is a therapist who is convinced that he's the best one to cure her. Believing her depression stems from a great fear more so than her grief. Together, they travel to a family home in the middle of the woods called Eden, where he plans to play out therapy sessions. Through the process, she begins to regain her humanity, but he is exposed to a part of her world that he never knew. She used to be an intellectual studying for her thesis, but gave it up for reasons that I'm sure we'll talk about. Soon she becomes violent and seeks to harm he. Typical horror movie shit ensues and so many questions remain. Blah, blah, blah. Let's get fucking into this. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't think we could talk about this movie without going into depth on the first scene of the film, which a lot of people, I think, just walked out of the movie theater. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's such a fucked up scene. There's within like five, the first... within five seconds, 
sense. You see like legit P going into V. <laughs> exactly. There's hardcore sex, which by the way, was done by body doubles. Sorry for all you fanboys and fangirls out there. We don't get to see Charlotte Gainsbourg or Willem Dafoe's Wang and Vag. But, but it's actual I, sex, right? We absolutely right? see is... Gainsbourg's later in the movie. Yeah, we no. actually do. Yeah, but not but that not in actual frontal. intercourse. Not in, in a yeah. hardcore intercourse, which are porn doubles. And at the same time, in glorious black and white phantom slow motion, 900 plus frames per second over this like operatic score, there is a, I think he's a five or six year old boy falling to his death out a window. What do you guys think of this like juxtaposition of like brilliant camera work, really interesting kind of stylized artsy things and like horrific content? What do you think that says about the movie as a whole? Well, I mean, it's such an interesting question because are you asking, does horror films have no place to have an artistic expression in this experimental high production value way? Like what, what is the basis here? Well, it's kind of like, it's like high art, but like I'm asking what are like the aesthetics of evil acts, right? So Mm. like an evil thing is happening here. A child's dying, you know, and we later learn that the mother is actually watching it happen and it's just allows it to happen well we'll get into that i take issue with how you're using the word art because uh, high art is just something that makes you feel something like describing the style as high art a style cannot on its own be art it's about what it's saying and how it makes you feel i get what you mean but i, I don't necessarily agree with that i mean like it, it's deliberately artistic like artsy right if you say something is artsy this would come to mind whereas like an action movie scene you usually don't say that's artsy I just don't like the word high art film as though it's a genre because yeah, yeah. it's, it's completely I, I wish subjective. I didn't use that word. I consider Fright Night to be high art. Hmm. No, <laughs> I, sure. I get what you mean. Uh, it's hard for me to say. It's kind of like... I consider like, Ready or Not high art. <laughs> the, the, the cinematography is done in a way to kind of portray like like paintings, you know, and this type of like extreme okay. visual artistic style, okay. right? Mm-hmm. But, and, I mean? and to add on top of that too, I like that you're referring to paintings. There's also opera. Mm-hmm. Playing. And so it has yes. this kind of like, yeah. when you say high art, I get it in the world that we like look at opera paintings. Those were considered high art because they were considered masterful works by pure yes. artists, whereas film, it took yeah. some time to get to that level. So right. to clarify, I tell me if this is wrong, but it sounds like what you're saying is that's appealing to this traditional classical style like paintings and opera. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Why do you think that's powerful or not powerful when juxtaposed with this extremely dark content i think it's interesting because like if we're comparing it to paintings paintings have always been terrifying i mean a lot of paintings started from painting religious acts and Mm -hmm. half of those have to do with good and evil and half of those have to do with like the devil and sin and like you you see that in so many of these paintings from the 16th century uh hey did not study paintings. (laughs) (laughs) The style of art that this movie evokes to me, I uh, started in religion. Yeah. And the movie itself, I think, evokes religion quite frequently. The place they go to is literally called Eden. The movie is called Antichrist. Like, why do we, we don't even... Adjust, it's called Antichrist. Of course it's evoking religion. <laughs> they don't have right. names. They're he and she. Like, Yeah, they're Adam and Eve. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They yes. are definitely supposed to mirror, I think, in the inversion of Adam and Eve in the story. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. Super quick question here. Where, where does Nick come from? What What is Nick supposed to be? You they're mean the in terms pers- of the biblical analogy? Yeah, they're the only ones with a name. Well, Nick's the Antichrist. 
<laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Nick, Nick, Nick is actually, uh, Nick's the embodiment of the original sin, right? The original sin of Adam and Eve are having children. Mm. Okay, you might be right. Um, just to explain a little bit of my baggage, I am Jewish. <laughs> so we don't we don't have original sin and we that's not we don't talk about that that's that's a christian invention that comes from your retcon of the books um <laughs> and i actually interpret that story to be complete opposite because they eat the apple from the tree of knowledge and then they realize they're naked and they suddenly have shame about it i mean mm. I, if anything, I would interpret it to be the opposite, that before they ate from the tree, they were probably having sex all the time and didn't give a shit. They had no shame. They were just like basic animals. Right. But they didn't bear children. I, I needed to read this book. What is this yeah. book? This book is fantastic. I need to the read it Bible. sometime. <laughs> yeah, it's the Bible. And, and older than that, it's, what, what is it called? The, the, the beginning of the Torah, right? Genesis, Genesis is the first book of Moses. It's the five yeah. books of Moses. Uh, Genesis is the first one. Yeah, so when you eat the apple of knowledge, you become aware of sin. That's kind of the idea. And the original sin of man and woman is to have children, pretty Got much, who are born sinful. Wait, so the right? sin is not eating the apple? No, when you eat the apple of knowledge, you become aware of sin. You're unaware oh, of sin wait. beforehand. That That's an interpretation. It's, it's a highly that. interpreted book. Like That's why it's the tree of knowledge. You are unaware of sin beforehand because you're in, okay. you're in uh, the Garden of Eden. That's why you're unaware yeah, of your exactly. nakedness. So they were you're totally having nakedness. sex. Uh, they could have been, yeah. Probably. Oh, yeah. But I they, mean, weren't, they weren't I mean, having Adam children, like, though, supposedly. Hey, God, I'm really lonely. Can I have a woman, please? And God's like, okay, here you go. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. God, I'm really horny. Can you uh, can you take my ribs and uh, do something with them? Like, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you give me this thing down here. I need something to put it into. <laughs> right. So, so I actually don't think we're derailing here. I think we are talking about a lot of the themes the movie is talking about. Because... In the beginning, we foreshadow something when he zooms in on a tree in a jar, right? A plant oh, in yeah. A jar, and we yeah. zoom in, and it looks kind of like aesthetically pleasing as we get closer and closer. It gets more kind of like ugly and grotesque. Mm. And it seems like this movie is all about learning more about the world and realizing how evil and sinful it is. They go into nature, Eden, thinking it's this great place, and he realizes all these awful things about it. He goes into his wife's mind and realizes that she could actually be evil because she's embraced the evil of women through her research and decided all women are evil in mm. the movie. I like that. I like that a lot. And to go back to your first question, I mean, if we look at those images that we're first presented with as paintings, I mean, I guess not the first ones that we're presented with. I'm thinking mainly of the ones when she's um, entering the forest for the first time, when she's in her uh, hallucinogenic state. Yeah. And we're looking at nature. And I mean, outside of religion, like other paintings were pastoral they were nature mm -hmm. and so it does give this kind of like evil sense about something that we once knew to be pure so i i want to go back to this idea of like the image and how th this first scene is kind of drawing all these parallels to uh, other artistic um high art categories you know opera uh masterful uh paintings and black all these other white. kinds of things black and white right it's really trying to draw this um, parallel to like the ideal high art if that is a thing right which i think this movie is actually being critical of and by drawing it to our original sins and sin in general i, I think it's actually making a deeper statement that art in some ways might actually be evil in the same way that we think nature is blissful but it's really not it actually often comes from a dark place and, and could be evil in itself 
it's kind of not fair because I think Von Trier plays with this idea more explicitly in his later movies. I like that interpretation. How does it play towards uh, the specific storyline for Antichrist? Right. So if we go back to the idea of you eat the apple of knowledge and then you become aware of your sin, the more knowledgeable about things you become, the more you start to see in depth their sinful quality, right? So the more you might uh, deal with artistic material, like the more she deals with her research, the more evil she becomes herself. I disagree with you. You, you might, you might, you might. I Like, I disagree with this in, in the global sense, but I think the film might be saying this. I don't is think it? it is. So she, like, comes to the conclusion that women are inherently evil. I don't think the movie is agreeing with her to, at all. I think that the movie portrays her as someone who is severely mentally ill and being abused and gaslit by her husband. And she mm. becomes convinced that women are evil because she becomes convinced that she kind of deserves this abuse and gaslighting. Mm. Um and then but, when she tells him this, he starts lecturing her about feminism and saying like, oh, how could you yeah. possibly think women are, are evil? How Don't you know about feminism? Don't, don't you know about the screw five solution and, <laughs> and how feminist it is? And yeah, C- and could you he, give an example specifically of why you think he's gaslighting her? Sorry to, to cut you off here. Yeah, I agree with so, David. Before you go, sorry, David, I, I, I agree with you that he's gaslighting. I'm curious. Okay. So, in the beginning of the movie, their child is dead, and she's super fucking upset about it. Like, to a point that is... I mean, anyone would be upset if their fucking kid died, but she is taking it in a particularly kind of off-color way. Um, She faints at a funeral, and she starts seeing a therapist who is telling her, like, there's something unusual about your grief. And then Willem Dafoe, who... Is not a therapist. Uh, I think oh, he, he studied psychology. Is he? A, is he actually yeah. a therapist? Yeah. Okay. Great. But he tells her, "No, your doctor is wrong. You should stop seeing him, and I'll give you therapy instead." Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, ha- having a husband as your therapist is already like that is fucking weird. Mm-hmm. And if you were to ask any therapist about that, they would just straight up say that's unethical and you shouldn't do that and mm-hmm. he says it's unethical he like he yeah. says that he's like this is unethical we shouldn't yeah. but yeah. now he's keeping her from getting real help because he needs to control her yeah and he mixes mm-hmm. sex with it and he even he'll even comment like oh we shouldn't be having sex and therapy while they're having sex right like it mm-hmm. this is this is this is not okay this, this is mm-hmm. not how you do this and mm-hmm. i think the movie is absolutely critical of it the movie absolutely recognizes that this is not okay Mm. you are not supposed to be on his side with this Hmm. but his solutions to her trauma is say oh what's really bothering you oh it's eden we should go there and he basically causes everything that happens in the movie Hmm. it's his mistreatment of her that starts the entire chain of events. But that is I, actually... I, I disagree. That's a real... I, I don't fully disagree. And I think it's interesting and I want to come mm. back to it because I have a different interpretation of like her mm. specifically. What he does is an actual therapeutic technique called exposure mm. therapy. Oh, yeah. I've been through exposure therapy. Oh, yeah. shit. Yeah. Oh, no <laughs> so, like, yeah. So then if you're... If, but like that's an actual technique and like, yeah, it can be maybe fucked up, but like... Are you critiquing the technique or are you using the technique to support your claim that he's 
I'm I'm critiquing his method of doing it and his belief that he he's her husband. He's her husband and he's right. having sex with her. He should not be her doctor and a doctor who is actually qualified to treat her should be the one making these decisions mm-hmm. with her. He is not like conscious of her comfort level at many points. There's a part where he wants to have a dialogue with her, a role play where he pretends to be her fears and she pretends to be her logic yeah, and reason. Yeah. Which, like, it sounds right on paper. I don't know if that's a real technique or not, but when you see it play out, I don't think it is. Uh, mm. I could be wrong. When you see it play out in the movie, he's basically feeding into all of her fears. I mean, yeah, that's, that's what he does throughout the film. He escalates yeah. the situation until she just randomly goes, like, murderous and whatnot. Okay, so I got to respond to a few things. Um, for the most part, I actually agree with you with a lot of what you said, that he gaslit her and uh, the way he's going about his therapy is completely unethical. You know, he's related to her and all that. Uh, that he started everything, I disagree. Because in the beginning, it seems like he's not gaslighting her from the beginning, and we really don't know much about their prior relationship before their child died. Like, Because remember, he went through an extremely traumatic experience too. He could very well be acting out of character in the same way. Like, his child just died. We don't know. And we don't see him at all. We don't hear him say anything until after the fact. But we see a lot of flashbacks about her. And, you know, she did this awful thing where she put Nick's shoes on backwards so often that they caused a deformity in his feet. If she did. No, she did that. There's pictures. There's there's photo evidence of it. I mean, unless you just call the whole movie. only have these two characters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, and if you want to call so the whole thing... The movie. If you want to call the whole thing into question, but, I mean, there's photo evidence, there's a doctor's report, he confronts her about it, she says she does it, so all the movie hints at, yeah, she probably did that, right? But to go back to our original question, which is where I was saying that uh, the movie is saying this, that we might have this fear of if we look too close at nature or at art itself, we might conceive of it as evil. I think a lot of this movie is trying to highlight anxieties that people might have. And I think it's saying that that might be an anxiety we have in the same way that it's saying, oh, we might be anxious that our therapist is is dealing with us unethically. We might be anxious that our husband treats us as a test subject rather than an actual person. We might be um, anxious that our mother doesn't really like us you know she doesn't act mm-hmm. like a mother and then you know the heart the true anxieties of it i think are kind of in this like battle of the sexes and our our problems with nature the separation mm-hmm. of uh humankind and nature in a way human nature and nature yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's so interesting that you guys are bringing this up because i didn't see the abusiveness of the husband and it's like kind of changing my interpretation of this but mm-hmm. um i do want to say how i originally inter- interpreted it rob because it does go to your point of the tree of knowledge and looking at something a little bit deeper um and realizing you know something is more inherently evil than we realize because looking at her character and seeing her as this woman who's basically suffering from the mistreatment of women through the ages and this I'm going to compare it a little bit to our inter- or my interpretation of Under the Shadow, where it didn't really seem like she wanted to be a mother or wasn't ready to be a mom or like just isn't equipped to being a mother, which is totally fine. But yet our gender tells us otherwise and history tells us otherwise that women are built to be mothers. And this is like an ongoing internal struggle for women is like I am built to birth and I am built to be a mom and I don't feel that way. And I think... We see this a lot in the setup, too. The production design of this movie 
I love. And I think the initial, we see, we see their apartment once before they go to the woods and it's just like, it does not look like a child lives there at all. Yeah. Yeah. Which tells me that like these people were not either, they don't love being parents or they're not equipped to being parents or I don't know. It it, it shows like some disconnect with the child. Right. Mm -hmm. And I see the struggle in her and I see the struggle in like her struggling with this idea of like what it is to be a woman. And I see his journey being like, he like starts to to understand what this struggle is for her. Like he didn't Mm. see it before. This is just as is for a woman. Like you're, you're my wife. Like you're meant to be a mom. This is like a human nature to you. You're okay. You, but he doesn't like understand that. Like we can struggle with that. We, sometimes Mm. we aren't necessarily equipped for that. And I think that's what she's struggling with too. And why she thinks herself is so evil. Cause she's like, I'm not like, I'm, I'm not ready for this or I don't want to do this. And therefore I am not a good person. Therefore, I mm. am evil because I am not a good mother or I don't want to be a mother. I think that's a really interesting interpretation of the movie as a, of a whole in kind of a much more positive light than maybe I would take it. But I think it also does those things, right? I mean, for me, I keep on unfurling like the levels of anxiety in this film, right? Mm-hmm. So we have, we have the three animals. We have grief, which I think is the deer. Uh, grief pain, is the, the deer. F- Pain is Pain the fox. Is the fox. Despair is the. It's a crow or raven. Bird. I'm crow. not sure what it is. Yeah, bird. Yeah, right. And it, it's the three beggars, which is kind of open to interpretation. The way I I saw it was a subversion of the three kings, mm. the three kings who go to Jesus as a baby and bring gifts. Wait, they're but kings now. The three kings <laughs> is the story. They go. Three to, wise men. Are they? I think they're they're, three they're kings. both kings and wise men. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they, they go to Jesus as a, as a baby and they give him gifts, but this one's the three beggars. They come and they take things away from you, right? Mm. And that's kind of oh. a subversion. Interesting. So th- oh, huh. This, this is kind of a backwards Adam and Eve tale where Adam and Eve, all these things happened and then they have a child, you know, supposedly like Cain, Cain and Abel and Sal and all the others, all these other things happen, right? And that's why but it's this, called Antichrist because it's the backwards right. birth of Christ. Well, yeah, yeah it's kind of Christ. in it. It's not Christ, but it's a biblical understanding of the Adam and Eve story. But you go backwards to the point where Adam ends up killing Eve, right? So we get back to the beginning of the story and his rolling backwards by killing off his sin and then killing off his his wife and and like kind of accepting original sin exists and then trying to eradicate it. He ends humanity. That's why all the faceless women come back. This is my main interpretation is that this movie I, I view as feminist because what it's saying that it, if we were to accept the original sin as womanhood and try to eradicate it, you'd in a sense be eradicating humankind, right? So it, kind of like Nick, the kid, because he doesn't really work as an analogy to Cain or Abel, but maybe Nick is Christ, his death, so time is going backwards, so they return to Eden, Adam kills Eve, so she goes back into his rib or whatever. He burns her, and then it's just he's the the, the beggars take things instead of giving them. So that's going backwards, and then everyone goes back to Eden. They don't face anymore. They don't exist anymore. That's basically what you're saying. Yes, but also one more point why it might work is that the Antichrist doesn't necessarily have to be around at the same time as Christ. The Antichrist, in a lot of interpretations, is Satan himself. And in some interpretations, the snake is Satan himself. 
No, so the Antichrist the Ant- was born in uh, June 6, 1966, and his name is uh, Adrian. Damien. Mm. He has his father's eyes. He was reborn in 1966, so bang, bang, boom, done. Oh, we're quoting different movies. Oh, we, but yeah, that's, that's the son of Satan. Antichrist is the omen. His name is Damien. <laughs> what, fight me like what no that's exactly they what we're are. saying they're, 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 they're yeah. different antichrists in that's parallel what universe saying. he's saying they're <laughs> different antichrists done exactly. boom proven horror <laughs> wins <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah i i think it's like an anti-creation story and it, it's nihilistic in that we it talks about these uh severe kind of nihilistic anxieties we have and i think that's why the movie is often viewed as scatterbrained because there's a lot of anxieties it deals with and there's a lot of imagery that's just really difficult to unpack. But mm-hmm. I think the three of us are kind of, we're coming to a deeper understanding of it. I don't know if it's the true interpretation. That, that's kind of hard there's to no nail down. There's no such thing as a true interpretation. There's so many it's... different interpretations of this movie, and I love it. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's more about the mental illness aspect of it. I mean, her mental illness, I don't think parallels any real one. She just kind of goes crazy because she becomes convinced that women are evil, so she must kill no, I think that's very relatable. I think yeah. it's lying to yourself in order to make your reality that you tell yourself of I'm a terrible person because mm. I and I, I want to ask you guys about this because I killed my child. Like I'm mm. therefore must be a terrible person and in order to like continue living and continue living healthily. I must convince myself that I am a terrible person and mm. thus I must keep proving to myself that I'm a terrible person and so I will mm. cut my husband's leg open and screw in a fucking 20 pound freaking weight to his leg. Yeah, yeah. I think it goes a little back again to our Daniel isn't real and the evil within discussion, um, where we talked a lot about how mental illness was portrayed in many horror movies and how I think this movie all is another example of one where someone who is mentally ill is shown to be dangerous and... Mm. I don't I don't buy that because I, I don't think it's saying anything about clinical depression. I think it's too metaphorical. It's it's also I, I still think that she accepted the evilness of womankind before the child died. Right. Right. And that's I think what that, the movie that says. Is, that's in the reality of the movie. And I think the stance the movie's taking is more about this anxiety of morality. Like, does a morality actually have a place in nature? And is there a morality to humankind? Is it this fabricated thing? In a way, it's also saying that men view themselves as separate from nature, whereas they kind of view women as nature. Interesting. As part of nature. Because there's the part where, remember, he before they get to Eden, he's giving her the kind of hypnosis scene, which I think is a really cool scene. And at the end of it, she lays down in the grass and she melts into the grass. She becomes part of Eden. Right. Yeah. And he tells her to do that. Yes, but he, he views it. He's never seeing himself as a product of even whenever i watch the movie i always feel like he looks out of place wherever he is right because he always, fights yeah. against nature every single chance that he gets he's terrified of acorns yeah how cool is the tick scene that is so fucked up i didn't know they were ticks i like yeah, I couldn't figure out what they were. <laughs> for the longest I really time they were closer i thought they were seeds i always thought they were seeds i was like that's so weird and yeah it's so cool that nature's like literally using his hand like i was like what him. are these blue dots that they, they seem to be acting like leeches but they can't be leeches it was really weird i know <laughs> but on the nature is evil thing i mean there's a part where he literally writes nature equals Satan? Question mark. <laughs> then it crosses it out. It's like, no, that's stupid. 
He's right. <laughs> but like, the movie kind of says that. The movie is saying that like nature is our antichrist, kind of. In a way. Uh, I don't think it is because I think they're both unreliable narrators. It says different things mm. in different scenes. I, I don't. I don't necessarily see the movie from their points of view. It totally. I would I do agree at with times, that. But I, I think we got to take the movie kind of at face value because there's never like points in time where people are like doubting their own reality altogether like they have dream sequences and stuff but it seems like it's always justified like we're being told that was a dream we know it's a dream being told that was hypnosis we know it's hypnosis people are doing bad things they know they did them i originally agreed with your statement and then you just brought up a point you said we never see that we should be doubting reality but we do because we get her flashbacks of her playing with nick in the grass when they were there the summer before and there, it's all happy, and it's like a, a beautiful memory. And then later on, after we discover that she's been tying his shoes on on the opposite feet, we see that memory as tainted, mm. and we see it as a bad yeah. memory. And we see Nick crying, and it's not actually mm. as blissful and happy as we see, as we the, thought. The entire like base plot of the movie is that she is questioning the nature of herself. At very least, she is absolutely questioning herself. I think it's arguable whether or not he is, but I think that she gets to him at some point, and yeah. that's where you can see him as being unreliable as well, that he is trying very hard to control it. She also points out, though, that he's, like, not reacting much to the fact that their child is dead, or, like, at all reacting to that, and how that is very strange. Well, um, this is months later. Which, by the way, uh, people grieve in different ways. Yes. And you're allowed to grieve in different ways like and don't judge other people's ways of grieving that's yeah but anyway. the, you could say that's odd you're not crying your kid died i mean because it is most people would but it doesn't mean it's wrong but you can yeah point it doesn't out that mean it's, it's wrong odd. and it doesn't mean that you're not upset some people will grieve by shutting it out or whatever like it's been sh it's sometimes it's even like really healthy for people to like be able to find joy or something that mm -hmm. is not mm -hmm. joy is not unhealthy and you're allowed to mix joy and grief. He's not even doing that. He's just literally not reacting. He's numb to it. That is also valid. It makes I understand why someone would consciously just churn off after their kid dies. That, that of course that's a valid response. Mm. I'd probably I yeah I wish I could churn off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'd argue he, it doesn't seem like he turns off though. It just seems like he become he's unreactive to it. Like it's I not think like his emotions he, he acts. Off. No, because he's emotional towards his wife still. Like, it seems like he still not. gets upset. Yeah, he does. He gets upset when she does things. He feels bad when he when he is going against his ethical stuff. There's a lot of turmoil. Like, he's a complicated character. I agree. He reacts to his wife. And, and it's not like we don't see him grieve. Again, this is months and months later. Like, she's been suffering yeah. this intense depression for months. We do see the funeral scene where he shows grief. And he is grieving. Mm. And he is upset about his child dying. And then immediately she faints and he has to go to tend to her. And I thought that was such a beautiful scene showing, okay, he got two seconds of his grief time and now he has to take care of her now because there's no time for him to grieve. So we don't get to see right. that with him. And like, yeah, it would be cool to like see him struggling a little bit more. But like right now his world is making sure that she's okay. Yeah. He kind of takes it on as like a mission to cure her in order to fix the problem. Yes. Which um, a lot of people have broken down this movie as the characters within it as kind of like archetypes of man and woman, which mm. I mean, it seems like they're meant to be given they're he and I she. Think so. He's kind of showed as like this sort of at times cold, calculated, kind of like egotistical, controlling man. And she's kind of seen as like this really impressionable, chaotic, crazy woman, you know? 
and at the end of the film she's saying all these crazy fucked up lines and she's like a crying a crying woman is a scheming woman it's showing kind of like a bad archetype of women right it's also showing a bad archetype of men like these are bad aspects that people might see as archetypal of the male stereotype i see i didn't get that i felt connected to her as a woman i understood her plight as a woman like i felt Mm -hmm. connected with her in a different way beyond just crazy like i thought a few of the things not justifiable but i was sensitive to the way that she felt and i therefore i don't think that it was just like painting her as crazy i thought they actually did a Mm. deep discussion of her analysis as a character i was sensitive to the way she felt for two-thirds of the movie and then i thought they did a complete 180 on her character and threw everything away and that nothing that she did was justified or made sense not just morally but like in terms of characterization, I don't think that she was motivated in her actions. Mm. Well, I mean, she was when you kind of see the direction the movie was going in. But it also, I mean, to build on to that stereotype. what was the motivation of her actions? To build on to the stereotype of, of like, the, the negative portrayal <laughs> or archetype no, of that... women is to show that they become vehemently spiteful uh, and vengeful and wrathful. Maybe those are better words than crazy. Those are better words, vengeful. yes, thank you. Yeah, she was yeah, doing it for yeah. revenge. But but she acts like hysterical at the end. She's like laughing and screaming and screeching and and she's crying at one moment and then cackling at the next. I mean, she she acts like stereotypically like the insane uh, horror movie villain, which is what they were going for in the movie. And they were making a statement about that. I think this is a good way to kind of bridge in our other film with these ideas of the uh, masculine and feminine uh, archetypes and how it's critical of both of them. And I think that uh, the Screwfly Solution is also critical of both of them. And it, both movies tend to exaggerate that to make a point, I think, about this battle of the sexes. Yeah, sure. And with this, I'd love to actually go back to that Genesis quote that Devin brought up. Can you read that one again, Devin? Yeah. The Genesis 3.16, which is graffitied in The Screwfly Solution. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So here's the context on that quote. Genesis, they're in the Garden of Eden. Snake tells Eve, you should eat the apple, Eve. And she does. And then she gains all this knowledge. And then she's like, oh, Adam, you should eat this too. And then he does. And he gains all this knowledge. And then they're both like, oh my god, we're naked. Uh, And then they hide. And then God finds, he's like, yo, what's going on? And they're like, we're naked. And he's like, how do you know you're naked? And they're like, oh, because we we ate the apple. The snake made us do it. Mm -hmm. And God doles out his punishments on all of them. And that's the punishment he gave Eve. What did he give Adam? That he would toil the land and grow fruit and break his back. Basically that he would work and have to like plant things instead of being a hunter gatherer. Women do that too. (laughs) Yeah. Now, but back, back in the day, it was more stereotypically like a man thing to, you know, be become a beast of burden and all that stuff. I think we got the good side of the deal. Uh, not maybe. Snakes I mean, back literally the lost their awful. legs. The snake definitely got like the worst punishment. <laughs> maybe, maybe. So bringing it back, that quote is super relevant to both movies because the story of Adam and Eve is often interpreted as woman did this to man, woman is mm-hmm. evil. I mean, I mean, obviously that's like bullshit, but I, I I do think there's a legitimate argument that is what the Bible is saying. Mm-hmm. As ridiculous and stupid as it is. Wow, I hope we have no religions listening to us. <laughs> well, they might be. They might be. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you could probably say it with more tact that there is an argument for that to say it, but people disagree with it. 
Um, but that is the argument that the sons of Adam use directly in yes. the film, right? In the story, the Screwfly Solution, there's also an English sect that says that the Bible doesn't even state that women are people. I have no idea if that's true. So the sons of Adam would agree with uh, she, Charlotte Gainsbourg's character. Mm -hmm. Yes. And she came to that same conclusion while she was researching for her thesis. I'm sorry to our religious audience, if they exist, but... The quote is saying that women deserve to be subjugated. I'm not saying that I think that's complete horse crap. Um, but that is what the quote is kind of saying, is that, yeah. yeah, you deserve what happened to you in Eden. I mean, this kind of. It depends on your interpretation of it. Like, you could argue that... I don't like any of that old religions. Um, <laughs> I think that there is... This may not be ingrained in the actual religion, but like we were saying in, in Screwfly, it said that the religion is the symptom rather than the cause. A lot of people like to interpret religion by glorifying this original sin, that they like to glorify this aspect of it, and therefore back it up as though this is how it must be. This is our punishment. We must be punished for what Adam and Eve did I think it's like 5,000 years ago, according to the Jewish calendar. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I yeah. tend to think that Lars von Trier agrees with your interpretation. That's why he's putting it in the movie, in the place that he put it there. And that there's an anxiety over people accepting it as, as that interpretation. And that's where the issues of the movie are coming from. Because the movie is not saying that this is a good thing if women were to accept this place as the cause of evil in the world, right? Yeah. It's saying that that is a problem and that could bring about, unravel the entirety of the world. Like, And I think it's apocalyptic because it's about undoing Adam and Eve. I think it's about ending the world. And I think that's very similar to the Screwfly situation, is that ending the, en ending the world is when either men accept women as evil or women accept themselves as evil. And that's why I view both movies as deeply feminist. Mm. That's also, though, why I don't think that Antichrist is necessarily agreeing with uh, Xi's conclusion. Because it's shown that it's, oh, it's bad if women accept their subjugation. Therefore, it's saying that the conclusion she reached, that women are evil, is wrong. Which well, also yeah. kind of goes against the idea that she is a stand-in for the entire womankind. Right. But I didn't say she was a stand-in for all of womankind. I said she was an archetype for the bad aspects of womankind, or at least a lot of them. And I said he was the same. Mm. That's what I think the movie's doing. So I don't, mm -hmm. I don't think it's trying to totalize anything. I think it's trying to show a great deal of like deep-seated anxieties about things. And through that, we can kind of see these, this exaggeration of our anxieties or fears of these things. We can kind of see how they play out in, in a society, right? And it's kind of interesting because Antichrist is a very localized tale, but Screwfly Selection is a global tale, right? Everything that happens is big scale. It's held back by its budget, which is really unfortunate. <laughs> but it's all like it's all like big scale. Everything that's happened is a ramification of like a societal level, right? So we're, we're talking about how if men were to decide that women were evil and kill them off, right? Oh, that's their justification for it when in reality it's it's a problem with their sexual desire being mixed with bloodlust, right? And then that will cause the end of the world. So I don't think either movie is saying this is the way it should be. They're saying this is a very bad aspect. And if we were to exaggerate that aspect to the extreme, it would kill us all. So I think they're both saying this is a weak link in human society. And that we should re-examine it and pull it up a mm -hmm. mirror 
to ourselves. What's the weak yeah. link? The is the idea the weak link, or are women the weak link? No, no, no. The idea of women as evil is the weak link, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, a screwfly solution is more specifically our sexuality, a male aggressive sexuality is kind of a weak link and that should be reevaluated. Right. It, it's it, not it also, just saying the female, it also points out the flaws in the male. Yes. I mean Antichrist yeah. also kind of says that sexuality is a problem. Yes, uh, it does. Since they're having sex and then their kid dies while they're having sex. Right. Yeah, we haven't um, talked about sex at all. There's so much sex yep. in that movie. There's and then at the end of the movie she mutilates his penis and then she cuts off her vagina. <laughs> She cuts she off cuts her clitoris. Her clitoris. This is making a statement on like genital mutilation, and which has happened in like Africa, for instance, in certain countries where they're mutilating women, and that, that it's showing that extreme thing. Africa's not a to country. show how extreme this idea of uh, accepting women's evilness and their subjugation is. That's why it shows such an extreme image, and there, thus I think it's warranted. So saying that, I think some of you guys don't think it's warranted. And you think that it borders on exploitation, which I don't think it does. Cutting off the clitoris? The, the cutting off the clitoris and just the sexual violence in both films border on explo- exploitation? I don't think they do. I think they're justified. No. Uh, I, I have different thoughts on the, both of the movies. So for Screwfly, Screwfly is absolutely sexually exploitative. Throughout the movie, they very regularly use sex when there is violence happening but they're using sex in a way that is still meant to be arousing Mm. it reads as the violence itself becomes an arousing scene Mm. which contradicts the entire statement that the movie is trying to make i gotta disagree with you that's not the statement the movie's trying to make is that men often conflate sexual arousal with violent things and that is a problem with our sexuality as a whole it's saying that's the thing and I think scientifically that's kind of a fact. I think most mammals confuse sexuality and violence. I mean, just do some reading on otters, everyone, and you'll never think of them the same again. (laughs) So this goes back to Devin's original question when she asked, Is this horror meant for women or men? Yes. So if it's trying to equate the arousal of sex with the violence happening, then it's at least trying, and in my opinion, completely failing miserably, to play into man's fear that this is something that will be conflated for him. But Mm. I don't imagine this would be so much a thing for women. I mean, certainly women can also be turned on by violence, but this is meant to be arousing for the men, not for the women. Uh, But what about Antichrist? How do you guys view that one? Uh, Well, Devin, do you view Screwfly Solution as exploitative, first off? I think the whole point of the story is about sexual aggression. You need to show sex. You need to show that sex exists in this world. So no, I don't think that it's exploitative. Mm. No. Okay. So how about the other film? Do you find... I mean, I I don't think it's exploitative. How about the other film, Antichrist? Do you find the violence in that like gratuitous or exploitative? I mean, you do get to show a male member jerked off with blood shooting out and a clitoral being clipped and a boy dying on screen. It's terrifying, but it like I feel like it really needs to be there. It, no, I don't find it exploitative. I think we're talking about very realistic terms. I think we're talking about sin in the most like extreme way. And the horror film is supposed to like take it to that next level. Those images are the most horrifying parts about this. And and if you want to evoke a terror about sin, like you need to use that imagery. And especially for like, I mean, we've been talking so much about original sin being sex or I guess it's knowledge or I don't know. We've been talking sex is somewhere in there. 
you need to show that sex is happening and you need to show that she's struggling with her sexuality. And how are we going to see mm-hmm. that without like showing her aggressively wanting sex at all times? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I, well, I guess another term would be, do you think it was done? I mean, tastefully. Do you think it was offensive? No, I'm totally another... okay with the way that it's portrayed in this film. And and David, what do you think? I don't think it's offensive. I just think it's pure shock value and completely stupid and is not. I, I think it's done for shock value. Mm. Mm. So, so to me, if you said it's done just for shock value, I think that is kind of like an exploit. I mean, it's not sexually exploitative. It's definitely not that. Right. For, for me, exploitative means that it's allowing you to indulge in emotions that are generally positive. So if something is exploitative in a violent sense then it's more about glorifying the violence. It, mm. I mean, you could argue Friday the 13th is exploitative, for example, that it, it, it glorifies the violence of it, and you're 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 definitely right, rooting for Jason. Right. If you're not rooting for Jason when you're watching those movies, you're watching those movies wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think that in Antichrist you're meant to be rooting for the violence. I think that you're very much wanting it to stop. Mm. But I, I don't think that's necessarily better. I mean, I don't think it's motivated. Let me put it that way. I don't think it's motivated. So now we're ready for my favorite part of the show, which is the bone review section, where we rate each film on a one through four bone rating system with half bones in between. Starting us off this week is Devin Shepard. All right. So the Screwfly Solution was really hard to rate because it's a TV movie. So like, obviously, like you've been saying throughout the entire episode, Rob, it has less of a budget. No shit. Uh, Not access to as great (laughs) of actors. Um, Not access to as great of a script. I like I'm so curious and I did not read the short story beforehand and I like I really want to now because uh the original author sounds like a badass woman and I want to know everything about her anyway my bone rating was gonna be two and then I thought about it more and I was like I think they really could have beefed up a lot of the adaptation again like I've been saying throughout this episode I think it needs to be more modern I think they need to like go a little bit beyond the text um so I'm gonna give it a 1.5 Ooh. Ugh, yeah antichrist i just love lars von Trier so much <laughs> i just his movies really do like create this emotional stir within me and i mean ask my boyfriend it started in two seconds and i was like glued to the screen like he was talking to me and i could not respond because i'm like i'm sorry i'm like i'm literally in this movie right now i am just like gone i am not here i think he does such a masterful job of like conducting audience emotion and of of starting conversations that are really important and like the fact that everyone's interpretation of this film is so different shows that this movie means something to the audience it 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 stirs the audience and for that it's really masterful so 3.5 bones. i think it's david's turn um so i'm gonna be really negative today uh i don't know if you could tell from earlier my feelings of these movies i was holding back a lot um but uh i'm gonna go screw fly first it's not the worst movie we've done i still like it better than pulse but it's terrible (laughs) (laughs) um it's poorly directed the script is terrible the performances are bad it it looks like shit uh, it's not subtle at all, and yet it's still, like, it's, I mean, it's, it is exploitative. I, they, they have a scene of them, like, just killing nude strippers. I'm like, what the fuck is, it's, it's like a really, it's a really bad movie, and it's just not well made. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe the short story is better, I don't know, I haven't read it, 
that the TV movie is not well made and it doesn't make any fucking sense. And that stupid alien twist makes it even worse because, like, before the alien twist, I was probably going to give it, like, one and a half or two bones. But then they just completely throw in and they just change the themes of the movie in the last 30 seconds of it. And it gets one bone from it. Terrible movie. That's higher than I thought you would give it, actually. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> so going on the Antichrist. This one's worse than Pulse. <laughs> I texted my roommate like halfway through the movie because I was using her criteria and I was like, yeah, th this could have been good if it had like a better director. And then I text her at the end of the movie again. And I'm like, I, I take it back. That got a lot worse. But yeah, the directing is terrible in this movie. I don't know why you guys think that Lars von Trier is a good director. Uh, I He makes decisions for the sake of making decisions. He's just trying to do things different for the sake of doing things different. The opening scene is like it's almost good with all that slow-mo, but it doesn't actually hit like the emotional beat. Like it needs the moment where it takes you out of the slow motion and brings you into the world of the characters. And it never does that. So it's always seen in the abstract. You're never able to be in the perspective of the people who are there. And why are we watching movies if we're not following them from the characters' perspectives? Then you do have, like, this drama that could have been interesting with the husband and the wife and the therapy and whatnot. But the way he shoots it is fucking ridiculous. Because he does it all improv style where it, that, like, this is actually how he directed it. There was no, like, script. He said, this is what happens and they improvise it. Which is like, okay, maybe, but he doesn't know how to shoot that. Instead, his camera just roams around randomly and he just jump cuts the entire fucking movie and every time it cuts i'm just taken out of everything i cannot invest in these characters because it's just shot so fucking terribly and edited so fucking terribly and i hate lars von Trier. and then as it goes it just she just randomly turns crazy for no fucking reason whatsoever it's completely random and out of the blue and senseless and then the ending is just shock value shock value shock value and i fucking hate this movie and thematically it the fact that we all have different interpretations of it is not a good thing. That shows that's completely scatterbrained and means nothing. Because no, Lars von Trier did not have any meaning in mind when he wrote this. He said that himself. Like, he did not have a specific meaning. And sometimes that can work out if there is a meaning emerging, but there is not. Every, some people think it's misogynistic. Some people think it's feminist. People have completely opposite ideas of what this movie's trying to say. Because it's saying fucking nothing, no bones. Wow. I hate no. this movie. This is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. No one should watch it. No bones? No bones. Fuck this movie and fuck Lars von Trier. Wow. I've never seen David hate him or just be more animated about any movie. I hate this fucking movie and I've been holding this all fucking week trying to figure out what it's trying to say and it's not saying anything. Oh. I hate this oh movie. Oh my god. You must love Terrence Malick. Just saying. <laughs> I've only seen Tree of Life, and I like the dinosaurs, and that's it. Now that we've made you all like upset, uh, I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make the movie. A little, I'm gonna add on some positive notes. So, really quick, starting with the Screwfly Solution, you guys probably have understood that I, I really adore this movie. I'm uh, an avid fan of the Masters of Horrors series, Showtime, Bring It Back. It was amazing, and it's a TV movie, so I have to rate it as such. But even beyond that. Oftentimes, it's the thematic elements and the overarching story of films that I appreciate the most. And this was a movie that I thought about for years. I saw it in 2006 when it came out, and I've really been thinking about it ever since. So I have to give it three bones. I understand that there's a lot of budget constraints and there's some acting decisions that aren't great. And after reading the short story, I wish they took more liberties. 
but I think it's a story worth telling. I think it is a very interesting and ending with a twist on the alien invasion extermination idea that is more interesting to me as a science fiction fan. Talking about Antichrist, this is probably one of my favorite horror movies, and it's by my favorite living director, Lars von Trier, the maverick, the genius, the insane madman. Uh, I think it has a really unique, interesting storyline. I think it says a lot of things about humanity, and I always viewed it with a clear story in mind, and the more I think about it, I thematically understand it more and more the more I talk about it, and that's the kind of film I like, something I watch and I think about after the fact. I also saw it when it first came out on a laptop with my girlfriend at the time when I was like 18 years old, and it really screwed with me. It was like hit me on an emotional level and it just creeped me out. And I just thought the movie was like had this dark foreboding tension throughout and it was interesting and it had all these philosophical questions and talked about like real things that are scary and had excellent acting. And she totally deserved her award at Con that year. Four bones. Damn. All right. Well, that's it for this week, guys. I hope you enjoyed the big dichotomy of bone reviews. That's probably the biggest spread we've had on this podcast. It might be the biggest spread we'll ever have. So until next time, stay hungry. You know, I'm something of an antichrist myself. Mm-hmm.